Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome to the regular Monday night meditation class from Against the Stream. If you're new, welcome. If you're old, <laughs> welcome. And uh, we've been meeting regularly. I've been leading the Sangha for a long time, teaching weekly class for probably over 20 years now. Some of you have been sitting with me from the beginning. Uh, some of you are newer to the Sangha. I, um, I feel like my job as a Dharma teacher is, has some levels to it. One is um, to teach the Dharma, to present the Buddha's teachings uh, and how we can apply them to our lives the uh, meditation instructions, the uh, philosophy and how we can make it practical and applicable to our lives. So the education and uh, support part. And then another part, and I feel like this is a big part of Dharma teacher, Buddhist teacher's job is to um, facilitate community is to be uh, kind of hold the role, hold the place for people to come together and connect with each other. Um, And not to just be looking to the teacher, but to be building relationships and connecting with uh, what we call Sangha community. And um, it's more difficult to do uh, (laughs) uh, when we're all in our different homes and, not gathering together in person. Uh, It's one of my uh, favorite things about teaching um, groups is that people, you know, generally come into the room and we're here together and we're meeting each other. I always have people introduce themselves to each other. And uh, and this year with COVID and uh, stay at home, we've lost that ability to connect in person, but what we've gained on this online platform is uh, more and more access and community with people around uh, the country, around the world, Um, people being able to attend class that wouldn't be able to be here in Venice, California at 7.30 p.m. on Monday nights, but are all over the uh, country and, and all over the planet being able to join us. So, You can scroll around and see the 90 people that are meditating with you uh, and get a sense of uh, there is a connection here. There is a community here that is practicing together. And um, we will have a period of meditation and then a Dharma talk and discussion. 
So find a way to sit that's upright, find a meditation posture. And as you're ready, allow your eyes to close. Begin settling into the meditation posture, upright, but also relaxed. Take a moment to soften the brow, the eyes, the jaw. Releasing any unnecessary tension in the shoulders or neck, chest or belly. And establish an attitude of kindness. Whatever that means to you, what would it mean, feel like, be like to be kind to yourself? To breathe in kindness, to breathe out kindness. To approach our sensations, our emotions, and our thoughts from an attitude of kindness. this human body as we went through last week there's a physical form feel your body sitting contact with the chair and cushion there's feeling tones Sensations perceived as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And there is a mind that thinks about the past, the future, that plans. can be creative, 
intelligent. Also this mind where our emotions arise, both fear and love. Bringing awareness to what kind of moods, attitudes, mind states are present. And reflecting on your own kind of self-image, how you think about yourself. It's, I'm like this or I'm like that. Bringing awareness that almost all of our self-image, our self-consciousness is based on memory things that have happened in the past, formative experiences. Part of the mindfulness practice invites us to let go of the past, disengage the way that we create a self out of memory and engage with the present just as it is. These sounds, sensations, thoughts and feelings here and now, relinquishing identification with the past as much as you can. becoming fully present. And then there's some aspect of the mind, which is consciousness itself. that part that knows we're breathing in or breathing out, that knows that these are just thoughts. That which is aware, awake, that can be mindful of what's happening in the body in the heart, the mind. And bring that consciousness, that awareness for a few minutes, just to the body breathing. Let everything else be in the background and direct your 
mindful attention to the sensations that the breath creates. Of course, the awareness doesn't stay with the breath and gets drawn back into thinking. Sometimes we might even say the mind wanders. But pay attention to how the mind isn't going anywhere. The mind's right here thinking. It's only our attention that wanders, that gets re-involved in the thought world, going off into the future and past. And that you can choose to reestablish, bring your awareness back to the body over and over. The mind continues Well, we can choose to disengage from the contents of the mind. Let it be in the background.
some find it helpful to use a technique called noting as you breathe in, feeling the sensations the breath creates and mentally labeling the experience as breathing in. Using the mind to track the breath as it comes and goes. Likewise, when your attention does get drawn back into hearing or thinking, just naming it, hearing, and coming back to the breath or thinking, and returning to the chosen object. We gather the attention with the breath to help us sharpen our concentration helps us see more clearly.
If you're new to the practice, it's fine to stay with the breath. The Buddha's instructions invite us to expand, to become more inclusive with the attention, including the whole body. Coming to know this body as the four elements. Earth elements experienced in contact with the chair, cushion. Air element experienced with each breath. Fire, heat elements experiences temperature, warmth, coldness. The water element, be mindful that the majority of this body is fluid, is the water element. Experience with the saliva, the heart beating, more we wake up to the nature of the Dhamma of the body, simply being the four elements, the more we start to understand our connectedness to everything else. as you continue to pay attention to your body, open to the feeling tones again, what's pleasant, what's unpleasant, what's experienced as neutral. Including emotions, what's happening in the belly and the chest, in the throat. The sense door is also part of present time experience, sounds arising, passing, changing, sustaining, increasing, diminishing, smell, taste, sight, this human form with its sense doors. Again, opening to the mind rather than ignoring the mind. 
bringing that level of consciousness, witness, unentangled participation with the thoughts and emotions, moods and attitudes, hopes and fears of the mind. Make room for it all. The discomfort in the body, the chatter in the mind. Kindness accepts ourselves just as we are right now.
for the last couple of minutes, letting go of effort and turning towards the simple loving kindness phrase, may I be at ease, wishing this ease for yourself. May I be at ease with myself just as I am, with my mind, my body, with sickness, aging, and death. May I come to acceptance and ease. May I be at ease with this world just as it is. with the 10,000 joys of existence and the 10,000 sorrows, the great beauty and the immense ignorance, confusion in the world. And extending this wish to each other, everybody here meditating tonight, the Sangha gather, the other people in your life that are part of your spiritual community, your support, your Sangha. Sending goodwill, loving kindness, the wish for ease in the direction of your community. May you be at ease with yourself just as you are. May you be at ease in this world just as it is, with the joys and sorrows. And extending this wish outward in all directions until we include all living beings, our friends, as well as our enemies, the known and the unknown, those nearby and far away, those being born and those dying, all living beings, with the wish for ease, with some intention of compassion for all of the pain, suffering on the planet. And with some sense of appreciation for all of the joy and happiness, wisdom, and the equanimity of being at ease. As we inhabit reality just as it is. 
May all beings be at ease. And when you're ready, you can allow your eyes to be open. Bring your attention back to the experience of seeing and moving. Before I jump into my uh, Dharma talk and our topic tonight, we're gonna continue with the Heart of the Revolution uh, book and uh, we're going by it kind of section by section. Uh, our topic tonight is karma and I'll talk a bunch about karma and we'll have some discussion. But before we jump into that, um, Anybody have any questions about meditation practice about, um, you know, I said earlier, one of my jobs is to uh, teach. Uh, and part of that is to, um, you know, clarify the Buddhist meditation instructions or to help uh, guide and support you in, in uh, working with the practice and what happens while you're practicing. So if there's any questions about your meditation practice, what's coming up for you, how to work with it, how to uh, navigate. Happy to spend a few minutes if there are any questions. No question in the chat. Also, you can uh, either type a question in the chat or you can raise your hand. There's that little hand on the, um, under, I think it's under the participants bar um, at the bottom of your screen where you can raise your hand if you wanna ask out loud. But uh, Juan says, um, sometimes the prospect of meditating can appear scary. Heading into the dark, eyes closed, forced to process our thoughts and emotions. I suspect, the, I suspect the solution is meditate more. And certainly I've noticed that over the years, but do you have any other advice? 
Um, I do think that, um, I, I like the way you frame the question, Juan, uh, that it's a bit scary. And I think that it's worthy of us looking at, uh, and, and perhaps part of what meditation is doing is forcing us to look at our relationship to fear and to comfort, how attached are we to feeling uh, safe and comfortable <laughs> and, uh, and that there's something uh, kind of counter instinctual about meditation. Uh, we're so wired to look outside of ourselves for happiness and so wired uh, to try to avoid anything that's uncomfortable or scary or difficult to take this meditation seat and to really uh, commit to it and to close our eyes and be like, okay, I'm going to be not only with the discomfort of the body, but also with uh, my fear and with my judging mind and my, you know, uh, mind's habits of being critical and um, so there's something so radical about what we're doing and on, on some level I kind of I appreciate that it feels scary and of course the more we do it the more we see like oh, it's not that it's not actually scary it's actually quite safe in here <laughs> they're just thoughts <laughs> they're just feelings they're just sensations you know after some period of time of meditating you get so intimate with your mind, no matter how much it's attacking or how loud or how uh, stirred up it is, there, you, we get to the confidence, like, like you said, that you've noticed over the years that um, as we meditate more, we became so much more familiar with the inner terrain that we know like, oh, this is just Mara, <laughs> this is just uh, judging mind. This is just fear. Okay, fear's like this in my mind and it feels like this tightness in my belly and my jaw gets tight and um, we become more accepting and more, you know, I started tonight with friendliness. What does fear look like, scariness look like when we meet it with friendliness or kindness was the term I was using. What's it like to be kind to our own uh, fears? Can we, without like, they need to go away. Like I'm, I'm that acceptance of like, it's okay to be intimidated. It's okay to be nervous, anxious, scared, and to still be kind towards that mind state. And that, you know, the mind can be so insistent of like the kindest thing that you could do right now is stop meditating. <laughs> Does your mind ever tell you that? Like, really, like, if you have compassion, you should stop doing this shit because it hurts. <laughs> and um, need that, that necessity of reframing it of actually the kindest thing that I can do is just sit here and breathe through the fear and breathe with the uh, insecurity and with the uh, arising and passing of, of emotion and sensation that, that's happening. 
So I don't know. I, I hope that helps. And yes, of course, the, the biggest piece is perseverance and um, it does get less intimidating the more we do it has been my experience. Um, another question here about uh, experiencing the feeling of falling and jumping a few times. Not sure if this is because I'm tired and it's late here or because it happens when relaxing after a stressful day. Is that part of the process or something that eases with time and practice? Um, very common, uh, Ashley, that that happens. Um, I don't exactly, you know, it, it perhaps is most often it's a... Um, a tiredness. We're starting to nod off and there's that sort of like, whoa, I was nodding off. And uh, we kind of jerk or uh, start to, you know, nod off. If you're pretty new to meditation, um, there's something about just closing your eyes, especially at night, perhaps after you know a long day, whatever your day was like, where your body just gets this message of, it must be bedtime or nap time because they don't usually close their eyes until <laughs> it's time for bed. So they're closing their eyes and then the body can get quite lethargic. The more we meditate, the more we put ourselves in this posture of sitting with our eyes closed, the more we start to condition the mind this is not nap time. This is awareness time. This is consciousness. This is actually uh, alert time. And um, the body does become conditioned. And my experience has been that we fall asleep less often. Um, and, the, and, you know, that, that's kind of nodding, uh, drowsiness, sloth and torpor. Uh, is the traditional way to talk about it, is totally normal, totally part of the meditation path. And one of the things the Buddha talked about that we'd all have to contend with. So um, practical antidote is um, if you do find yourself falling asleep during meditation, that you can open your eyes and take some deep breaths and keep a stricter posture and that will bring some more energy, take some deep breaths, get the, the oxygen flowing in the blood, um, open your eyes for a minute or two and then continue, close your eyes again. Hope that's helpful, Ashley. Couple more and then I'll get into karma. Um, question about, what are your thoughts in regards to CPTSD complex post-traumatic uh, stress disorder and meditation. I've tried to develop a meditation practice a few different times over the years, and I never stick with it because I'm flooded with flashbacks or anger, uh, or it's such a battle to stay with it. I end up aggravated and triggered, so I never get past that stage. I don't have any um, direct experience to draw on with that level of complex you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. I find in my own you know, years of meditation practice that uh, a lot of my traumatic experiences, abuses, neglects, betrayals um, come up during meditation. And you know, kind of the mind says, hey, remember, how painful that was. Remember how 
difficult that was like that I feel like that's a, a fairly common thing so I imagine if you know we've gone through some very 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 complex uh, situations that that is going to be part of meditation and that if we stick with meditation what's going to happen is we're going to change our relationship to those thoughts and that actually in the long run you know, this term trigger, which my understanding means um, we're actually kind of reliving something from the past that's not happening now that actually the mind is activated as though we're back in that uh, situation. Long-term meditation practice, both sitting and walking practice and, and walking meditation. And this might be um, part of what I would encourage, um, walking meditation can be less um, triggering for people sometimes. You have to experiment with that. And also there's something about walking meditation, the bilateral attention of bringing your focus from left foot to right foot as you take each footstep is doing something, I believe, similar to what EMDR therapy, trauma-based uh, eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, which is a trauma therapy. And I think that Buddhist walking meditation uh, is doing something similar because we bring our attention back and forth. And I, I think that the um, walking practice as well as the sitting practice and increasing the tolerance for incredibly painful, uh, sometimes triggering memories will lead to um, putting those historical experiences, what we call PTSD or CPTSD, um, into the rightful place as painful memories and not as triggers that we have to relive all of the time. I believe that meditation will help you get there if you can find the willingness to sit through all of the difficulty and with gentleness and with, you know, I don't, I don't at all want to come off and say like, or sound like I'm saying like push through it and sit through it no matter what, that's not my attitude, but a gentle approach of sit for as long as you can and then do some walking meditation and, and sit some more and do some walking meditation and consistently return to the cushion and, um, I believe that your uh, tolerance and your relationship to all of those past pains will gradually shift and that it will be incredibly liberating in the long run to continue meditating. So I hope that that's true for you and I hope that that's helpful. Okay, last one. Do I have an opinion about the ratio of guided and unguided meditation? Somehow too much guided meditation begins to feel like lazy meditation uh, from David. I don't have a, I, actually, I don't really have a, an opinion, David. Uh, I think it's very personal. Um, in the beginning, I think that guided meditations, when you're learning meditation, I think that guided meditations are very skillful so that because we need to train the mind to, you know, we need to get those instructions in. Um, we don't really know how to do it. It's hard to stay focused. Somebody, that guidance of bringing us back to the focus on the breath or the body or the mind states or the, 
those reminders are so key when we're learning to meditate. So I think in the beginning, lots of guided meditation is great. After you've been practicing for some time and you've internalized the instructions and you know what to do, there's something very useful about silent meditation without the guidance, without the uh, intrusions of someone else's uh, guidance. So I think, but we all have to find our own balance. Um, if you've been practicing, I don't know how long you've been practicing, David, but if you've been practicing for a long time, my sense is mostly unguided practice. But as you sit down, decide what practice you're gonna do. I'm gonna do insight. I'm gonna do Vipassana mindfulness and then stick with that. Or I'm going to do loving kindness or compassion or forgiveness and then stick with that. So that you know, when you're sitting on your own, you're not just sort of jumping around and doing a little bit of this and be like, oh, that's kind of boring. I'll shift to some loving kindness. Oh, uh, that's too difficult. I'm coming back to, to actually be a bit disciplined about the practices that you're developing, digging deep uh, with each practice. Anyways, hope that's helpful. Let me jump into... Uh, The topic is karma. Last week we talked about, uh, you know, this is all in the Heart of the Revolution book, kind of as a uh, setting the stage leading up to the development of uh, loving kindness and compassion, appreciation and forgiveness and, and equanimity. Uh, and, and so the, you know, we start by uh, what's, what's really going on here? And last week we were unpacking this human uh, condition of we have a body and we have consciousness and we have memory and we have perception and feeling tone and, and we take everything so personal <laughs> and we're, we're born into this nervous system that is out of whack with reality, out of whack with impermanence. We're born into this uh, craving and aversive and self-centered I, me, mine mentality that is not our fault, but is the uh, reality that we live in. It's the human condition. And in this human realm, in this world, uh, what in Buddhism we call samsara, there are some uh, truths with a capital T. There are some um, aspects of reality that we may or may not understand yet. Um, for instance, uh, impermanence, right? Where I'm always, we're always talking about impermanence. Impermanence is not a idea, it's not a uh, philosophy, it's not a belief system, it's reality. It's, uh, you know, it's spiritual truth. It also happens to be science. <laughs> um, I personally don't care that much if silence matches up with, uh, with spiritual truth, but in this case, and in most cases in Buddhism, you know, uh, science does match up pretty well with, with what the Buddha taught. So karma 
also is not a philosophy. It's not an idea. It's not a belief system. It is reality. It is what is happening here. It's what we're living and breathing. Now, again, uh, you don't have to believe in impermanence. <laughs> you can live your whole life, you know, uh, not believing in impermanence. Uh, likewise with karma, you don't have to believe in karma, um, but it is what's happening to us, through us, around us. Um, so what's karma? This word that we use. Cause and effect. Cause and effect is happening. <laughs> it's kind of like that's the end of the Dharma talk on some level. <laughs> um, but let's, you know, because we have another half hour, I'll extrapolate on how the Buddha uh, explained and talked about and encouraged us to, to think about and behave in regards to cause and effect. Because everything is uh, subject to cause and effect, how we behave matters. All of our, and the word karma itself actually means action. All of our actions have effects. And to be more clear, all of our intentional actions have a karmic fruit, a karmic outcome. Everything that we do intentionally. Now here's the fucked up part. <laughs> including our thoughts. But luckily for us, only our intentional thoughts are creating karma. So this is one of the reasons why mindfulness is so fucking important. Because without mindfulness, your mind just does whatever it wants. It's undisciplined. It's unruly. The next section of the book talks about uh, the monkey mind. And I'm going to mostly save that for next week. But without mindfulness, the monkey mind can cause so much suffering for us and so many negative mind habits and negative karma, because what we think usually becomes actions, becomes speech and becomes deeds, actions. So part of what we're needing to do in order to uh, develop positive karma is to train our minds and to have a relationship to our minds. And when negative, unwholesome, unskillful thoughts arise, 
that's not your fault. If it's coming out of nowhere, like you're meditators, right? Maybe some of you are new. Many of you have been at it for a long time. You sit here and you tell your mind to shut up and it says, go fuck yourself. I got plans. <laughs> and it starts thinking about the past and it starts thinking about the future and it starts, you know, fantasizing, lusting, judging, whatever your mind is doing. Now, so much of that thought is not intentional, is not volitional. You're not, when those thoughts arise out of nowhere, there's no karma in that. That's just old programming. That's just the operating system, you know, kind of screensaver. <laughs> and it just happens to be, you know, whatever it is. But as soon as we take the bait and we start thinking about it and we're intentionally reflecting on how mad we are, how resentful we are and how uh, justified we are in our resentment and how, uh, you know, whatever, you know, any sort of negative thought that we take on and we're just, you know, feeding, then we're developing some karma because we're intentionally uh, ruminating and feeding and thinking unwholesome negative karmic thoughts. Does this make sense? I'm, I hope this makes sense that in our human experience, there are both volitional and non-volitional thoughts. And the karma of thoughts only applies to the ones you're doing on purpose. And how much of the time are you intentionally thinking about what you're thinking about? <laughs> and how much of the time is your mind just doing whatever the fuck it wants and taking you for a ride? Without meditation, I feel like it's most of the time our mind is taking us for a ride without mindfulness. But when you establish a mindfulness practice, you actually establish more and more free will. The ability to choose, is this a wholesome or unwholesome thought? Am I gonna get involved with this or am I gonna renounce it? Am I gonna keep feeding this and then create the karma of this lust, of this fear, of this hatred, of this self-centeredness? Or am I gonna disengage from it? Am I gonna let it be impermanent? And we develop that skill with meditation. Without meditation, I don't think many people are, can do that that we're just staying sort of addicted to our thoughts. Part of what we're doing in meditation is breaking our addiction to our own minds. And this, so I think when it comes to that internal karma, this is very important. Meditation is necessary to break our addiction to the mind and therefore have some uh, greater influence over what kind of karma uh, we're creating internally with that internal speech. Cause and effect internally with our thoughts and with our speech and with our actions. Every single thing we do, everything is karma. And when it's intentional, when you're speaking in a way that's intention, your intention is to cause harm, your intention is to offend, your intention is to lie. 
the car, you know, there's an effect of that dishonesty, of that anger, of that meanness, of that judgment. We own the karma that there's, a, there's an effect, there's an outcome. Now, the good news is about, right, like of effect is that it actually, part of what's being said here is that we have a lot of influence and a lot of ability to create good karma, to intentionally think positive thoughts, to intentionally say kind things, to be honest, to intentionally act in a way to be of service, to be, to, that we act, we can, con, you know, not totally control, but we have so much influence over the direction of our minds and our actions and our life. This is the good news of karma, where karma, unlike some philosophies that are sort of fatalistic, where humans are kind of powerless and at the whims of you know, fate or gods or whatever it is. Karma is teaching us, you know, the, the Dharma, the, the Buddha's uh, teaching us that actually you get to choose. You get to choose what the outcomes are gonna be based on how you intentionally think and speak and act. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I like that's so good that we get to choose. I want to be happy. I used to have a, a friend who would say the beginning of our spiritual life. He said, "Is that you just make that decision? I am. I want to be a good person." <laughs> I want to be happy. I want to be a good person. And then you start taking on the actions of goodness, of good karma, of I'm going to be kind. I want to be generous. I want to be loving. I want to be forgiving. I want to be engaged in creating a positive change on this planet. I want to be of benefit. I want my life to be beneficial not only to myself, but also to others, to the community, to all of that is that decision to focus our actions on positive things, positive practices. What I don't love the term, but often in Buddhism, we call wholesome, the good shit. I'm gonna commit to the good shit. Now, Easier said than done. As I said before, and as the Buddha reminds us over and over, we're not born into a mind and body that uh, have an easy time being kind and generous and loving and forgiving and selfless. We're born into a mind and body that crave pleasure, and that craving, that repetitive craving, often leads us to uh, unskillful actions, uh, karmically unwholesome uh, actions of lying and cheating and stealing and minimizing and selfish behaviors because I want my pleasure. 
And that's normal. That's the normal. That's the norm. Now, I'm not just talking about all of us addicts either <laughs> who, you know, went to the extreme with that. I'm talking about everyone. This is the Buddha's second noble truth. Repetitive craving makes honesty and integrity and non-attached mint quite challenging. So what's being proposed is uh, karma is reality, period. And because it's the reality that we live in, it's going to take quite a bit of effort to change the trajectory of our karma left to our own its own devices the mind is going to create a lot of suffering for us we're going to chase pleasure and try to and we're going to hate pain that's normal but chasing pleasure and hating pain creates negative karmic fruit for us to start to really create the positive the good the the wholesome there's a level of renunciation necessary. And there's a level of this against the stream, going against greed, against hatred, against delusion. That is incredibly challenging and unfortunately incredibly rare. And, you know, when somebody's really good at it, um, we turn him into a saint. <laughs> we call him the Buddha. We call, you know, like when somebody really does it because it's, uh, it's possible, you know, the, 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 the teaching is we can all do it. Anyone can do it. All living beings have the power, the ability, the potential to purify all of our karma in this lifetime. but it takes real commitment and constant vigilance about what we're thinking and what we're about to say. Why am I about to say this? Why am I about to post this? Where is this comment that I'm about to post on someone's social media coming from? Because that's karma too. Everything you post <laughs> is karma, everything whether it's a like, look at me and how sexy I am post, or it's a, a, let me criticize you so that, you know, I can hurt your feelings and feel superior and uh, seem so intelligent or, you know, whatever intention is coming behind the, you know, the action, the speech, the communication. Even the way that we look at each other is communicating something. Uh, many of you have been on silent meditation retreats with me or other teachers. On silent retreat, we say, okay, 
because there's so much communicated in a, a glance and eye contact. On retreat, we're gonna avoid eye contact with each other because we're really going into what we call noble silence. And the karma of, cause you know, just with your eyes, you can flirt or you can hate. Just with a glance, just with the way that we look at each other, it can either be a sort of, uh, you know, kind, flirty, uh, wink, wink, nod, nod, or it can be a dirty look, a, a squint, a mad dog, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And the karma of how we look at each other. Try that for a practice to look at people with kindness, to look, you know, to, to just say like, oh, every time I look at someone, there's some karma in that. So I'm going to intentionally smile at people more, be kinder to people, be uh, less critical, judgmental, less scowly, less whatever negative ways that we might look at each other. Couple more things and then I'll do a Q&A. This isn't actually how karma works, but it's what my father taught me, who was my first Dharma teacher. He said, just think about it as karma, savings and loan. We all have an account. <laughs> and as you reflect on your life, as your account, overdrawn? Has there been more selfish, fear-based, negative karma, which is withdrawal, 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 <laughs> withdrawal? Or are you starting to get a balanced uh, checkbook? And as you continue on your spiritual path, uh, deposit, 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 deposit. As we move in this next uh, few weeks into the practices of loving kindness and compassion and forgiveness and generosity and all of the topics of this course, the series of, of talks. And every time you say, may you be at ease, that's a karmically wholesome thought to place in your mind. Every time you say, I forgive you, even if you don't mean it yet, <laughs> or please forgive me, that's karmically wholesome. This is a positive, uh, it's a deposit in karma savings and loan. And it's starting to, uh, you know, if you're suffering a lot, for sure you're overdrawn. <laughs> when you come to the Dharma and you're suffering a lot, it's because for sure you're overdrawn because you're reacting to the pain of life in a way that's making it worse. The Dharma teaches us to respond to the pain of life with compassion, with forgiveness, with karmically, with actions with re that start to alleviate the suffering. And, and the more we make deposits, the more karmic, action, you know, wholesome, positive. You get what I'm saying. I'm saying it over and over.
And it's more than just the five precepts, you know? So we have the five precepts in, in, in Buddhism that says, you know, the minimum, right? The lowest level of renunciation is to not kill, not lie, not steal, not uh, behave inappropriately with our sexuality and not use drugs and alcohol. Now, this is just the lowest, that's just to like stay at a balanced, <laughs> that's just not to, to be making more withdrawals. But that actually in order to be doing lots of deposits, it's not just about that level of renunciation, but it's a deep commitment to being of service, a deep commitment to kindness, to uh, engaging, to being generous, to giving our time, our energy, our resources to help each other. So I, you know, just really want to encourage um, your reflection and your efforts towards uh, making more and more deposits and less and less withdrawals. And um, here's the one last thing that I'll say. Had a, a call from a friend in the sangha in class tonight, just the other day about, um, you know, what do we do when we're falsely accused? What do we do when uh, there's some big uh, painful thing happening that we don't feel like we've warranted? <laughs> Where it feels like, wait a minute, like, wh why is this happening to me? Um, you know, so accusations, misunderstandings, uh, loss. You know, that, that like if, so, if something gets stolen from you or something, uh, all of those, if we respond with non-attachment, if we can respond with acceptance, uh, forbearance, uh, those are also deposits. That our reaction is an action. How we respond to the difficulties, the losses, the what, whatever it is, the accusations, how we respond is our karma. Now, this is radically different than I think pop culture, which wants to like think about karma is what happens to you. Forget that. And, and try not to ever say that again, like, oh, it must have been your karma. No, no, no. Our karma is how we respond. What happens, happens. <laughs> Who knows why every, all this shit happens, but whatever happens, happens. How we respond to what happens in the world, in our lives, that's our karma. That's right now how we are choosing to make a deposit or a withdrawal from our spiritual savings and loan <laughs> account. I hope that makes sense. Okay, a couple questions before we end. We have about 10 more minutes. Let's see. Question about doing good consistently, but with the wrong intentions, with a goal being trying to earn good karma. How does that work out? Um, there are levels of generosity or merit that we can create. 
Uh, but I just want to clarify that it's absolutely okay to do good from a place of, I want to create good karma for myself. It's totally okay. <laughs> Actually encouraged. Go ahead because you deserve it. You deserve the good karma of those actions. This bullshit bumper sticker uh, mentality that says, you know, it only counts if you do good things and nobody's watching. Fuck that. It's okay to come from a place of, I want to purify my karma because I know I'm really fucking overdrawn. So I'm going to do a lot of good for my own liberation. <laughs> Because I'm in trouble over here, people. So I'm going to be of service. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving because I didn't used to be. And I know that I have a lot of wreckage of my past. I know I have a lot of amends to make. I know I have a lot of healing to do. So my view, nothing wrong with being extremely positive based on your own desire to purify your own karma. Fine. Makes sense? I hope that makes sense. That having been said, it is a developmental phase. You will get to the place where you're not doing it just for yourself anymore. And there's a, a shift in our life that happens where it does become more altruistic. And it's not just, I'm gonna be generous so that I look good or so that I purify my karma or any of that stuff where it just becomes a, a way of being and a natural uh, tendency and that it really becomes for the benefit of all sentient beings because I care and not just because I care about my own karma. There's a shift that will happen. Just keep, keep going. Next question, how much control do we really have over karmic results? I get that I have control to create karma, but sometimes results seem out of my hands. You have absolute control over the karmic results. <laughs> if you do good, there will be a good result that period. The exact form that that good result comes in, when it comes, uh, you know, hard to tell. Now it's like, like, so let's talk about the savings and loan analogy again. A deposit is a deposit. Now, if you're really overdrawn, <laughs> that deposit, isn't going to be like, cool, now I got money to spend. And be like, no, now you're less in debt, motherfucker. <laughs> you, know, you don't, you know, that sometimes the positive result is that we're less in debt. Not that all of a sudden it's like, hey, I did, you know, I spent my first half of my life being selfish, but I was kind for two weeks. Where's my payday? It doesn't work that way. But for sure, it's working. like the karma of saying the loving kindness phrase or saying the forgiveness phrase. You might not feel it for the first month. You might say it over and over and not feel it. You might say it for two months. You might say it for six months. And then 
two years into doing the practice, you might be like, whoa, this shit's fucking working. All of a sudden, I feel loving kindness. All of a sudden, I feel compassionate. And it's not all of the sudden. It was, I said that shit every day for two years. <laughs> deposit, 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 deposit. And then it uncovered, it gave me access to something that was always there. So please think about karma uh, in that way. We don't have control over exactly the form of the results, but it's always working, whether or not you're seeing it. Maybe the last question um, from Amanda. When, when you say that acting from a place of fear generates negative karma, do you mean acting unskillfully when in fearful state or being fearful in general creates negative karma? I'm, I, I mostly mean uh, acting unskillfully from that place of fear. Um, I mostly mean when it becomes an unskillful action. But it's, you know, it's almost like the first question around like, you know, meditation being scary. The more we meditate, the more we change our relationship to fear. And ideally we, we will come to a place where it's just fear. Like it's just, I just feel anxious and it's okay to feel anxious. I just feel nervous. I just feel afraid. But that, 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 that nervousness is met with kindness and, and acceptance rather than what happens often when we feel afraid, which is like, I feel afraid. And then we judge ourselves. You shouldn't feel afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's just meditation. You're stupid for being afraid. And all of that karma that we put on top of when we intentionally start judging and criticizing and telling ourselves it's not okay to feel anxious. So we could uh, be creating a lot of karma on top of a natural human emotional experience such as fear or we could be meeting it, or it's what we're doing. We're trying to learn to meet all of it with love and kindness, learning to be at ease with all of it. I said last one, but I'll also take Felix's question since you raised your hand. Go for it, Felix. All right, I'm gonna try to phrase that correctly. Sometimes I feel in certain situations whatever I would say or do would create some negative karma. For instance, um, with somebody that I dearly love, I see some actions that are creating some harm to that person. By saying something, I'm afraid that she will judge, that I'm, that I'm judging her and that she will you know, have uh, some negative feelings about it. But if I don't say anything, I also feel like it's negative because I'm not helping this person. Yeah, this is, um, it's an issue of communication and, and right speech, wise, wise communication. And uh, you, you probably know this, but I'll remind you that we put our communication through this uh, kind of test, which is, does what I wanna say true? And then you're like, yep, it's true. I wanna say this to my friend. Um, is it useful? 
you know, um, is it coming from a good place? And I feel like this honest thing will be useful for them to, um, you know, to know, to, to be confronted with. Um, and is it the appropriate time? Right. So, you know, sometimes it could be true and useful, but you don't want to say it, you know, in front at, at Christmas dinner. <laughs> you know, it's not the it's not the appropriate time. Um, so is it true? Is it useful? Is it is the timing correct for this conversation? Is it coming from a, you know, in a positive intention from you? And it sounds like the way you're talking about, it, like, I want to say something that I feel like is honest and it's useful, but they don't want to hear it. They're in denial or they're in uh, resistance or there's no negative karma in hurting someone's feelings um, or pissing someone off by telling them the truth that is appropriate and useful and coming from a good place. Now, um, there might actually be some karma in not telling the truth and not speaking, you know, uh, truth to power <laughs> or whatever it is um, by out of fear of their reaction of not actually expressing what feels important to express. But there's no, you know, there's no, there's no negative karma. Um, uh, you know, even if you get yelled at, even if like we kind of say like, hey, I really want to talk to you about this. And they're like, well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, um, that's not, you know, that's, that's their karma, right? And you, you know, you, your uh, response to them not accepting your honest appraisal <laughs> or trying to be helpful in some ways, uh, you're creating goodness in your heart coming from that place, whether or not they accept it or receive it in a good way. Yeah, I think your your comment about timing is is crucial, actually. And that's something that sometimes it's, it's hard to, to debate in my mind anyway. You're, you're really you're trying to find the right timing, but sometimes with certain issues that are more important, it, it's yeah. hard to find the right timing for sure. But thank you. That, I you're welcome. That. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you too. I rode dirt bikes yesterday. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, man. <laughs> Too much snow here still. Um, okay, I'm going to end. It's nine o'clock, but I'm going to end with a short reading. Here we are alive, at least temporarily on a planet in the human condition that is out of whack with the reality it inhabits. The challenges we face are immense, but not insurmountable. The Buddha left us a detailed map of the terrain we have to navigate a way forward that encourages us to wade into the stream and travel against the torrents of greed, hatred, and delusion. The outcome of the practice, practices of Buddhist meditation is to open our eyes, allow us to be wide awake. We must be careful not to ensnare ourselves in the trap of seeking happiness from the world. In fact, fuck the world. The world cannot supply genuine security or happiness. We must also be careful not to become overzealous in our spiritual aspirations and thus fall into the trap of religion. The meditative practices that are offered in this book are not, are not meant to inspire religious devotion or a quick fix. Rather, they will help build a long-term engagement with our own heart 
allowing us to uncover what has always been here. So that's my soapbox sermon for the evening. Uh, I offer all of these reflections, you know, these teachings, these perspectives for your reflection. Find out for yourself what's true. Uh, if you're interested in the book, Rachel, post a link to the website where you can um, purchase the book and read along with the course. Next week, we're going to talk about training the monkey heart mind. And uh, we'll carry on from there. Hope to see you guys next week. Please donate. Uh, these classes are done by donation. Your donations are needed in order to continue to support the nonprofit Against the Stream that pays rent on the Meditation Center and um, supports me some. So please be generous and, and give what you can. Uh, we suggest a $15 donation. If you can do that, that's gratefully appreciated. Uh, if you need to give less, give less, give whatever's appropriate and for you at this time. And consider becoming a monthly supporter. Many of you are monthly supporters. Thank you for supporting Against the Stream. And um, we'll leave it there for tonight. May the merit, the good karma developed by this good conversation be shared outward in all directions with all living beings. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.